Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help. Legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 291 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. And that means, first of all, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Noda, powered by M&T Bank. Noda is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, Nota. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial, Surety, Company, Bonds, and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers, work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And with so many new podcasts announcing their very first show these days, we are rapidly approaching our 300th podcast. We're very close, um, so, which means we do like to mention that at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we took a look at the growing phenomenon of forcing people to come back into the office. In this episode... We answer a question that we often get from people. Are there good ways to develop your knowledge and expertise about legal technology that don't take much time or effort? Ha! You know the answer to that one. However, we want to share some strategies for creating a good personalized learning plan to get you some expertise on the legal technology topics that you care about. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about making a plan to dramatically raise the level of your legal tech game. In our second segment, we're going to talk about the latest technology entering the hype cycle, audio, video, asynchronous communication. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, how to make yourself a legal tech expert. If you listen to this podcast enough, you know we talk a lot about the lawyer's general obligation of technical competence. Uh, well, this and what we're talking about today is not exactly that. Uh, what if you want to be more than just competent? What if you're looking for a career in legal technology? What if you want to write more about it? What if you are looking for something deeper? Um, in this episode, we're going to throw around some ideas about how to accomplish that, how to develop a learning plan. But uh, where I think what we're going to figure out is, is that this is not something that you can just do uh, on nights and weekends necessarily. Uh, if you don't have a lot of time, Dennis, how do you like to answer people who ask you what it takes to become a legal tech expert quickly? 
Well, sometimes people like to say, I would like to be a legal tech expert like you, and how can I do that quickly? And I, I want to go like, well, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, you do realize. So I, I think you, it does go back to the, the we're familiar with the 10,000-hour rule to really become an expert uh, or to become really great at anything. And a lot of people talk about being 10 or 20 or 30-year overnight successes in in certain things. So I, I think there is, uh, you know, an appreciable time commitment and, that you need to do. And I, I think it really does come down to if you want to become an expert and get good at it, and you want to do it, you know, even relatively quickly, it t- really takes tremendous motivation and tremendous commitment um, to do that. And it's doable, uh, especially in newer technology. I, th- I think, you know, you can get up to a higher level more quickly. But I think if you take a look at people who've been doing this for a long time and to say, oh, I want to be as good as, you know, this person is, you're downplaying kind of the experience and expertise and all the work that they've they put into it, you know. So it's like I was listening to somebody on a podcast today talk about, you know, if you want to play basketball like Kobe Bryant, you kind of have to prepare in the way that Kobe Bryant did to to get to that level. So I'm not saying that you and I, Tom, are maybe at that level, but it's like anything else. You got to put some time and effort into it and to have a plan. Well, and I think that I mean we're going to talk about this in a lot more detail, but I, I think that. Uh, what you need to be considering when you, if you decide you want to do this, is how do you want your legal tech knowledge to play out? Do you want this to be broad and shallow, or do you want it to be narrow and deep? And I think that the answer to that question is going to drive how you do it. I mean, I think that if you're going to be broad and shallow or, well, if, in either one, you can do a relatively quicker, um, quick, you can do some things relatively quickly. But like Dennis mentioned, um, I think that, that in, order to, in order to have kind of that broad general expertise, it's going to take a while. It is that uh, sitting at the foul line and shooting 30,000 foul shots uh, to become the expert. You've got to take the time to do it. You can't, uh, you can't just become an, uh, that overnight success. Uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of work, but I think you really need to decide um, how you want to approach it. Do you want to become a, a general expert across the whole thing, or do you want to dive in deep on a couple of different topics? And then there are also, I think, for me, two really different approaches. And I, I sometimes think that, time you and I are kind of exceptions in a way. I mean, we love technology and its application to law, and we've done that for a long time. And we're also both really good explainers, you know, and that we write and speak about this. So we're able to communicate about technology. And so you might not necessarily want to have me like sitting over your shoulder telling you exactly how to correct something or how to do something, but you probably do want to have me uh, explain something. So that's one approach that you can take. The other, I think, is really my friend Amani Smathers is known for this uh, in law, but the T-shaped approach, I I think, is a much better way to go where you say, hey, there's going to be a number of areas in technology that I would like to have some knowledge uh, about, and there's some stuff that are, you know, 
fairly standard that people would expect me to know about. And I'll have sort of like a, a good enough level of that or sort of the shallow top of the T. But there are going to be some areas that I really care about or I'm super interested in that I want to go deep on. And so that my approach to technology is going to be T-shaped, which I would not describe Tom, you or I, to, to really have a T-shaped approach. We're much more universalist. I think that's right. And, and I did, so to have a to post a big disclaimer at the front of this, I mean, I think that one of the benefits that I've had is having been an observer of technology as long as I have been, I think that my strengths tend to be I can explain it well and I can most of the technologies that I tend to use, I can use well. So I'm able to explain it where I regret my big regret in not having worked in the legal industry now for over 13 years is that I don't consider myself to be the type of, quote, legal tech expert that we're talking about here. I, um, I think that the field of legal technology tools is so large and so vast that I'm never going to catch up. Even if I decided to get back into it these days, there are just so many things to think about. And if I was planning to do that at this point, if I was kind of getting back into the legal industry and legal technology, I would really take that T-shaped approach. I would say, all right, there needs to be something I want to focus on, something that I want to be all in on and learn about and become an expert on. But I need to be aware of all these other different areas, at least in some way, to understand how they work, why they why they work, how they fit into the legal industry and market, and how they can work together. I think because um, I, I do think that all of that is important in order. You know, it, it, I guess I guess really. What we haven't talked about here also is what's your goal? You say you want to become a legal tech expert. What's the goal for becoming that expert? Is it just for, you know, self-satisfaction? You just want to be that expert? Are you looking for a new career? Are you looking to help people? Are you going to be a consultant? What's the purpose of all of this knowledge? Um, You know, for, for, for us, it helps us write content, uh, do podcasts, um, give speeches and presentations and things like that. Dennis is making a lot more out of it than I am, but I think you also need to be figuring out what is it that you plan on uh, doing with this newfound expertise that you have. And I think you're right, Tom, that legal tech is now a very big ocean. And if you feel it's overwhelming to understand it all, it's because it really is. Like, I've never felt that it's harder uh, than it is right now to keep up with all the different things. And so I've basically shifted to to focusing on the things that interest me the most. And that uh, leads to one, something I think is a really key point, which is that law practice and, and legal tech aren't really monolithic. So um, my, my interest and my expertise changed a lot because I was working as an in-house counsel. I've never been a litigator. You know, I'm not, uh, I, you know, I'm good at explaining e-discovery and stuff like that, but it's not really an interest of mine. And so so what I've done is to kind of pull back and say, okay, what makes the most sense for me to do going forward? And one piece of that, Tom, is, is frankly, that I, I think that the whole topic of innovation as the wrapper around what I think of where legal tech fits is much more comfortable uh, for me now and I and I do so you wanted you do want to kind of step back and say so what is it that I really want or I think even better what is it that I really want 
to that I need to learn and what do I want to accomplish that and so depending on your goal some of that is going to to change and uh, and then then I then I think it's some of the things we've talked about is like okay so let's do some some design thinking approaches let's brainstorm some ideas let's see what what I care about what what might I use what am I trying to accomplish all those sorts of things and then I think it comes down to creating that big list and then narrowing it down to the stuff that that interests you. Uh, does that seem right to you, Tom? It does, and but but I think that I think that we need to maybe help out a little bit when it comes to figuring out what that big list is because they're not going to just draw it from thin air. They need to understand what the universe of that big list is, and so I would probably recommend um, the site that Dennis recommended as his parting shot in the last podcast, and that's the Legal Technology Hub from Nikki Shaver, um, because there you can get an idea of, I think, the landscape. And I'm just going to read the list right now because it's long. It's a long list. So it includes app development. This is all legal technology, app development, automation, contract management, data management, drafting tools, IP management, legal operation tools, legal point solutions, litigation management, platforms, practice management, project management, research, security, transaction management, and each one of those items has several sub-items that go to it. And so this is not something that you're just going to say, I want to be a legal tech expert and I want to do all of this. You, I think I agree that this is going to take some sitting down. It's going to look at some of the areas. It's going to be about really understanding what these areas involve and what, include, what, they, what, what each one includes, and then come to some decision on where do I want to spend my time? Where do I want to focus and and learn a little bit more about? Yeah. And so I wrote down a list, Tom, of uh, five items, which is probably some examples I would think seriously about. Um, So number one for me these days is, is cybersecurity. I think if you're going to develop any kind of legal tech expertise, it would be in cybersecurity. I think Document automation, uh, because it leads to productization and other things that you can do, is really interesting. Uh, Depending on the type of practice you have, practice management software is another place that you might decide that you want to specialize in. I think that's, you know, it's like follow the money. There's a lot of money going into the practice management uh, uh, software companies. Everything in the collaboration tools space, not surprisingly, I think is important. And I do think it's really useful if you if you want to know something about tech as it relates to the practice of law, I think just knowing some of the basics of computer forensics could be could be really helpful. I do a thing that every year I try to identify of uh, you know like a new tech skill or topic I want to learn well doesn't mean that I, I, I actually accomplished, but, but that's sort of the discipline I've tried to develop over the years. And, and I guess, Tom, like once you do some identifications, then it does come to some time commitment. And I think you just need to be realistic about that. So do you have like a, or to be unrealistic just because you love this stuff, but I, I, in terms of realistic, what are you thinking? Is that like a couple of hours a week that people should put into it? I want to actually take a step back real quick because I, I think I have a, a little bit of a different approach to 
the examples that you bring because, and, and this kind of raises to me a question that came up at, I forget if it was at Tech Show, if it was after Tech Show a couple of years ago where I got in a Twitter conversation slash argument slash discussion about what actually constitutes legal technology. Because a lot of the things that you put on your list, cybersecurity, collaboration tools, computer forensics, not necessarily legal technology, but there are those out there, maybe some of you, maybe you're listening to this podcast, who believes that just the fact that a lawyer is using technology makes it legal. So that means that Word, Microsoft Word, in the hands of a lawyer is legal technology. I don't agree with that. I think legal technology is software that is designed for for law practice, for accomplishing a legal activity. And I, I don't, I, because otherwise then Microsoft Word is legal tech and it's fintech and it's ad tech and it's all sorts, it's agriculture tech, it's all of those things. And I think we get into a, a, a problem with that. So to me, those are good areas for a general understanding of technology. I would say that of that list that I listed, the, the one that... I think is red hot right now to learn about what what companies are doing is contract management. That to me is one of the big areas where and maybe it's overhyped. Maybe it's maybe it's red hot because it's overhyped right now, but um, the number of companies that I work with where their legal departments don't have a good way to deal with contracts uh, and then the fact that there are so many companies out there trying to help you with your contracts suggests that it's an area that I think from a legal standpoint from a true legal technology standpoint, I think it's it's something that's definitely worth. If I were to dive deep, that might be where I would go right now just to understand more about it and become more of an expert because it is so, I think, at least top of mind for lots of law departments these days. Now, let me get back to your other question. I think that, and, and Dennis and I were talking before this podcast about setting habits. I would say that, that in order to learn something, you have to set up a routine. And whether that routine is a couple of hours a day a couple of hours a week, whatever it is, you have to say, I want to learn about it this long. And you have to add it to your task list every day or every three weeks and say, today on my list, I'm going to spend an hour learning about this topic. And we could spend a whole episode talking about setting habits and 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 goals and making things routines. But I think that um, the only way to do that, and, and, and we could also talk a little bit about the idea of taking good notes. This is kind of our second brain thing. How do you retain what you learn about legal technology? Um, taking good notes, keeping in the second brain, uh, that spaced repetition where you go back and revisit it several times to learn what you've been learning. All of those, I think, are important steps uh, to, start, to start learning more about a particular legal technology area. Yeah, there's a lot there in what you said, Tom, some of which, not surprisingly, uh, I don't totally agree with. But I, I want to go back to this commitment notion and to use the Kobe Bryant example again, because I say if you can't put a couple hours a week consistently into something, you're just not going to be very good. And I think it shows that you're not committed and and think of like whoever you admire as an expert or very skilled in any category and imagine them putting two or three hours a week into something, they're not going to be anywhere near as, as good. So um, you want to do that, that level of commitment. And here's the trick. And I think the best idea to learning all of this stuff is to create a project where you have to, you force yourself to learn it. 
So if I want to learn document automation, then I figure out some documents to automate. You know, if I want to to learn practice management, then I, you know, then I set up some new clients to do that. So I'm forced to learn it uh, because I I have to do that. So if I'm learning to to use uh, the tools to create products out of legal services, I have a list right now of of potential products to create, and that's how I'm going to learn the tools. So I think that having that product instead of trying to learn the stuff in the abstract makes a gigantic difference. This is how you learn, like people say, like, how did you learn social media or doing websites? I just went and did it. You know, I gave myself a project. I knew something that I wanted to accomplish and I learned the tools because I I wanted to get there. And so that's a great way to learn. And then I also think that, you know, you're going to find that there are ways that you learn best. And we're in like the golden age of learning because almost any way that you want to learn things, whether it's reading about it, listening about it, watching it, um, they're all available now. So here's the thing that I find is really interesting about learning um, legal technology is I I think that the amount of resources are actually incredibly small compared to what other areas might offer for training. I mean, when I was out there looking at at options for how to actually learn – there's not a lot out there. If I wanted to go learn about contract management software, um, you know, there's there there's not a ton of sources that would quote teach me how to do it. I would have to learn in different ways. And I think that when you're learning legal technology, learning in different ways here, you're not going to find a course on legal technology. Even the courses that law schools are teaching on legal technology um, are are broader survey courses than deep dives on anything. But um, you know, I find that most you know you know podcasts videos those are going to be your best ways to do it but most of these are going to cover legal technology kind of in one off ways they're not going to have a series on a specific type or area of legal technology, at least not in my experience. Um, But I I would say that if I needed to, I'm going to put these in the show notes, I would say, I I think that there are several podcasts that cover legal technology on a regular basis, like the actual legal technology tools. And that's why I am bringing this up, because I think it's important. Um, And then also some videos. So here's here's a couple for you. I'll include them in the show notes. Um, I think the Law Next podcast does a great job of bringing on legal tech technology owners and founders and to talk about their product. Uh, the Geek in Review does a good job of this. The Modern Lawyer is a podcast that does that, technically legal. Um, I'm hesitant about talking about ILTA podcasts because ILTA doesn't really talk about the tools. They talk a lot more about the skills that their members need, which might be useful to you. But take a look at what they have. They're, they're, they, they've got a slightly different take on that. When it comes to videos, um, probably the one legal tech YouTube channel that I know about where someone is regularly talking to legal tech owners and, 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 and founders um, is Nick Rishwain's Legal Tech Live, um, which I think is a good, a good site to, to, to learn about these things. But frankly, when it comes to something like YouTube, I think that if you just go to YouTube and you say t- search for contract management 
software demo, um, I found 50 different demos of different products by doing that, and it would show me how all these contract management software tools worked. So um, I think that there are things that are out there. I think that it's going to be a slightly different way of learning about it than you would learn up any other subject, just because I don't think that there's a really organized way of having this information out there, um, and nobody's really putting a body or a, a, a collection of knowledge together on this topic. Um, and so it's something that you're going to have to hunt for and find and come across. Uh, and, and it won't necessarily be something that comes easy to find depending on what it is you actually want to learn about. Yeah, I mean, as you know, a lot of times my preferred method is probably is for you is I just uh, like to, to call Adriana Linares to, to learn how to do things. But you know, so sometimes there are some, some go to people uh, out there. I also think what's become problematic in, and this is why we disagree a little bit on the, the contract management approach, because uh, I think it's a great example of if you go to the websites and there's a number of the legal tech categories that are like this, the uh, what you find is everything is driven to you uh, reaching out to them to schedule a demo. And so that the websites actually aren't very useful to give you an idea. Like I was, I was looking at a whole category of, uh, of tools and, and going through the websites and basically it was incredibly difficult for me, uh, even though I'm knowledgeable to tell the difference between one product and, or another, because they were all driving me to you know, provide an email address and have somebody call me. So sometimes you have to, to, to consider that as well. Um, so there, there are going to be a, a number of, of approaches, but I think it's all doable. I mean, you know, to me, I think that um, there's a number of, of, of learning techniques. Uh, we, we did a podcast with Kelly Palmer on the Degreed platform, uh, you can use smart goals. Uh, Tom and I were talking about Atomic Habits, the book. There's like a bunch of different ways um, that you can do that. And then I, I think that uh, then ultimately you figure out, how, you know, how are you going to test yourself as to what you know? And I think you prove what you've learned by teaching, by speaking, by writing and those things. And then that kind of gives you the the battle testing you need to to really uh, do that. The other thing is, as I say, I'm just big on finding a project to work on because if you, if you learn enough to complete a project and the project works in a good way, that is the, the proof of, of what you learned. And then to go back to one, uh, just real quickly to something that Tom mentioned, you didn't need to decide whether the technology is something you're going to do yourself or you're going to be a decision maker or an evaluator or those kinds of things because what you need to learn is actually quite a bit different uh, depending on on the role that you play. So we've got just a few more minutes in this segment. I'm going to let Dennis wrap this up. Do you have any closing thoughts that you haven't mentioned about uh, about uh, learning uh, about legal technology? Well, I think that uh, the thing I just mentioned, which is kind of, it goes back to our old notion of jobs to be done. And you're like, so why am I learning this? Like, what's the point? Um, and like, if I'm buying something for my practice, uh, then I need 
know of things at one level. If I'm trying to understand a whole category of things or, you know, I want to learn about a topic, say like cybersecurity, then uh, it's different. And then do I need to present it? Do I need to write it uh, about it? All those things come into play. And so I think for Tom and I, our best known skills are being able to write and speak about tech in ways that lawyers understand. And that's uh, surprisingly difficult. And it's like one of those uh, those things that I think we both take for granted, uh, but it's actually a fairly rare thing. And some of that we learn, some of it is just the way that we communicate. So I think that kind of taking that that look to say, okay, what's the point of all this? You know, like, do I want a new career? Well, then if you want a new career in e-discovery, then you're going to have to learn one of the e-discovery tools really well. Or you're going to have to figure out how you're going to, or do you want to be a manager, uh, which is a little different. And then, um, then I guess my last point, Tom, is that I just, I just feel that we've, uh, people learned a whole hell of a lot in the, during the pandemic, especially on collaboration tools, Zoom, all those things. And so we understand that we can learn this. And I, I think we just need to look at that and say, how do we take what's the best of what we learned from the pandemic and how can we keep moving that forward? So what worked, what didn't work, and how can we, how can we do that better? So the bottom line is you're not going to learn this like in a couple weeks, you know, of, of in your spare time. But if you want to commit to this, um, I actually think that you can in – year, in some cases, two years, especially if you're in, in areas that are of technology that are quite new or there's not many people uh, talking about at the moment, um, you can develop a, uh, you know, like a decent level of expertise within a year, I would say. But in some of the other categories, it's going to take a lot longer than that. And there's also tons of consolidation, other things happening in the industry. So it's a it's a commitment. So you got to be motivated, you got to be committed, and uh, there's plenty of room for you. And we're looking for new, new voices, new perspectives, new approaches in this field. And before we go on, move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, 
automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mail Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And it's time for our new segment we call Hot or Not. Actually, it's not so new these days, but uh, we like it. So we pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it is hot or not. I guess we could have uh, picked uh, contract management because that was probably the one thing in the last segment that Tom and I have a slightly different perspective on, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, we might agree, but odds are that we won't. So let's get started. So uh, Tom messaged me by text, I'll note, last week about audio, video, asynchronous communication tools and how using these tools to leave short asynchronous messages will, will some people claim, do away with both meetings and email. Tom, very laudable goals, but are people really serious about what these tools can do? All right. So Dennis basically just copied my message to him to, to introduce this whole topic. So, um, and, and, and I will say that over the past week, I have, um, listened to several podcasts and seen lots of news that caught my ear because of those two exact things where uh, people were claiming that they were using tools that either had the capability of both eliminating email and meetings entirely, not just partially, but entirely. Um, and and so two of the tools I'll, I'll talk about, one of them is called Voxer. We'll put a, a link in the show notes. Voxer is a, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, it's a, they call it real-time voice messaging. I call it kind of a walkie-talkie tool a little bit. Um, and the one of the podcasts that I was listening to, the, the guest was saying that he now uses this instead of email. He, in fact, refuses to communicate via email. He refuses refuses to have conversations by phone. He only will talk in small bits of information. He has a coaching business and his coaching business. Now he leaves small messages for his clients and then they leave messages for him. And uh, he's done away with both email and meetings entirely just by leaving messages. And all I can say, really frankly, my, my gut reaction is I feel sorry for his social life because he really clearly pre- prefers to just have conversations uh, by himself and not actually talk or, or interact with anybody individual. The other one comes from um, the, the guy who uh, invented Evernote. Love Evernote. Uh, don't use it anymore, but love Evernote. But he's moved on. He is has a new uh, product called Mm-hmm, uh, which uh, he named Mm-hmm because he always wanted to name a product Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the product. He just enjoyed that name. And what's interesting is is that uh, what he believes Mm-hmm can do, it doesn't actually do right now. Right now, it's a tool that enhances your meetings with backgrounds, with effects. You can do a newscaster effect. Um, but he envisions that the tool is going to eliminate update meetings so that a user... Uh, can record their portion of a meeting for colleagues to watch when it suits them. And you can even speed it up so you don't have to listen to your colleagues talking at at regular speed. You can speed it up if you want to get through it quickly. You know, I'll say, will the Will the colleagues actually even watch it? And to me, I would think, doesn't a meeting force you to pay attention where you don't have to pay attention to to notes that come in from your colleagues? And all I want to say is these tools rely on asynchronous communication. So I think it's fair to say that 
asynchronous is having a moment and it's definitely a hot technology. So I think that hot in terms of we're now, now that we are working from home, now that collaboration is important, um, we are finding ways to make asynchronous communication a valuable part of the process. But when I come back to will these tools eliminate email or meetings, I I frankly think it's crazy because I want to have, if I'm coaching someone, I want to have that interaction with the person that I'm coaching. Or if I'm being coached, I want to have that interaction and not just listen to them on voicemail. Meetings have value to them occasionally. There are, I don't want to say never. We don't want to eliminate meetings. We don't want to eliminate email. We want to find good and reasonable tools to use the right tool at the right time for the right thing. Um, and so while I would want to reduce email and meetings, I just don't see that these types of tools ever eliminate them entirely. And uh, I guess that probably I could call this not really a hot or not segment, but more a Tom's rant segment, because it kind of got me going. Um, Dennis, what do you think about this whole brouhaha? You know, it it kind of got me going, too. Although, I, you know, I think that I would love it if uh, I had a competitor for a coaching opportunity who who took the approach that this guy did because uh, I, I think it would give me an awesome competitive advantage to say, hey, look, I'll actually talk to you and I won't dictate to you the only ways that you can communicate with me. So I think this is really not hot. I think that people are kind of, you know, this is like the, we've been on in the Zoom world and email world for a while now, and people are just starting to get a little stir crazy. So I like asynchronous messages for things that deserve to be asynchronous. Uh, but I, th- I think that we have this, you know, and, and I would say this, this notion of the universal, uh, you know, message box where, you know, your voicemail was transcribed and you could, you know, you could access uh, these, these messages in different ways. I think that's a, that's a laudable notion, but there's like a ton of different ways to do that now. Um, like, like if I pick up my phone and there's a voicemail, it's it's transcribed for me, you know. So I don't know what I'm gaining here. And then, then I think people just forget that uh, a lot of this stuff just plays to the weak link, you know. Of, you know, so somebody's going to leave me a this voice message, and it's the only thing I get, and it's like a walkie-talkie. And so if I can't understand what they're saying because the recording's not good because they they went with the cheap microphone, then I'm stuck with that. Uh, and then the the mm-hmm thing, which people are putting a lot of money into, uh, you know. Could be an interesting supplemental tool if you want to do something a little creative on on Zoom, but I don't know that it you know takes the, the place of anything else. And then it comes down to, Tom, when we write our book about collaboration tools, what we're talking about is like how do you communicate with people in the, in the ways that are best for them and understand what their situation is. And so, like, why in the world would you force people into things that may not work for them? You know, like, it's better to give people more options. So you're saying like, oh, let me do this where it's video only and people don't have access to, to cameras to do videos or they don't have good microphones or they're, you know, they're traveling or all these other things. And so... I think it's just this this sort of like 
were stir crazy over uh, you know Zoom and and those things. So um, I, I got to put it in the not category. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use a second as podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I mentioned several times on the podcast that I recently purchased a standing desk. I love it to death. I probably don't stand as much as I should, um, but I notice that whenever I do stand, I can't stand up for very long because I'm uncomfortable. So I, I, it came with a mat. I didn't really like the mat a lot. So I went out and I looked for something and I found a mat called the Cube Fit Terra mat. It's a little bigger than I expected. It's kind of big. It doesn't, it, it's not something that's going to, can easily fit under your desk when you're gone. You might need to put it up somewhere because it's kind of big. Um, but it is truly an amazing mat. It is extremely comfortable. It's thick, rubber. Uh, in fact, I don't really want to wear shoes on it. I just want to do, do it barefoot. But it is also kind of um, a, a balance slash massage slash comfort mat where you can rub your feet. You can get a good foot massage in if you need to. Um, you can really, I mean, there are parts on there that have, have bumps on them, so it can uh, really help out your feet. Um, but it is a very comfortable way to stand, and it'll allowed me to stand a lot longer than I expected. I found myself constantly using the massage thing because it felt so good to use it. But um, I'm very I'm very thankful that I have it. I'm using it a lot. It's about 100 bucks on Amazon, CubeFit Terramat. Cool. Well, I want to I mention quickly two things that uh, touch on two areas I've been thinking a lot about. So one is actually a recommendation from you or actually something where you, you said to me, Tom, like, I can't believe you don't know about this and aren't using it. And that's YouTube watch lists. And I've been thinking a lot about the whole read it later category of things. So what happens when I find videos and I decide that are too long or I'm not at a place I can watch them? Well, the YouTube watch list is like a bookmarking tool and it's just really useful for that. So you can you can actually have uh, videos that in a queue, not necessarily in a queue, but a list of them that you can you can uh, you can watch when you have the time to do that. So I think that's that's a really helpful thing in a lot of cases. Um, the other thing is I'm very interested in the creator economy and what we can do with our content and can we create multiple uh, small streams of, of revenue? And so I've been looking at something called Gumroad. Uh, so that's gumroad.com, um, as in chewing gum plus uh, the road you drive on. Um, and it's, it's an example of an integrated uh, content platform where you can sell things and that payments are integrated into it, uh, deliveries uh, integrated into it, and people can find things. So say that you had some forms, some presentations, some other things that you had done, and you thought people might pay something for it, like a, you know, like a small amount for it. You can put it on Gum Road, and as I say, it's it could be the equivalent of you know finding a five dollar bill on the on the ground, or it could be the equivalent of finding a five thousand dollar bill on the uh, on the ground if you if you hit it. But it just makes it really simple to take things that you've created and to to offer them for sale. So um, there's we're finding, seeing more and more examples of this, but Gum Road is the one I'm I'm going to ex be experimenting with in over. Uh, the next few weeks. 
I have used Gumroad several times um, to download some inexpensive uh, but well-done templates for Notion. And so if any of you ever uh, got interested in using Notion from our Second Brain discussions, um, there are a lot of Notion creators who have templates up there that if you just don't, if you need some inspiration or uh, some ideas on how to put things together, Gumroad is a great place to, to, to look for those. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Or remember, we still love getting those voicemails. We haven't gotten one in a while, so please make our day and leave a voicemail at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.